Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. And welcome back to another episode of Human Factors Cast. It is episode 168. We're hanging out here. It's May 28th, 2020. Uh, and I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined by Mr. Blake Arnsdorf, sitting across there, the internet, from me. Another wonderful Thursday. Good to be back, Another Nick. Thursday night is always a great night to podcast. Um, we got we got one great news story to break down, and that's that's by design. We we're, Again, we're cutting down the news because a lot of it is depressing and sad we talked about we talked about it before the show like the news is in a weird place right now like real world political everything just is in a weird place and really bums me out and this is our happy place this is our let's talk about human factors place place. to escape a little because yeah exactly uh so we got one news story to really break down and and you know we'll get to uh some recommendations in the reddit section uh but first we got that Patreon refresh. We've been pushing it for like the better part of five months now, um, or I guess three months, right? We did this in May or March. Yeah, that's when we pushed it out. It's out there. Go check it out. It's Human Factors Minute. Uh, it's uh, digging, digging out the textbooks, doing a uh, deep dive onto some topics in Human Factors, highly researched, highly produced. I love it. Uh, it's, uh, it's fun. We put together a couple before every show, so that way there's always going to be um, twice as many, I guess, in the can as there are weeks so there's like an infinite out infinite uh scheduled out schedule i don't don't know how to how else to say basically we're gonna have to create human factors groups and topics at some point because we will hit the ceiling we've got so much content yeah well no what i was saying blake is that since we're doing two every week um you know, and and there's only one that drops per week. It sounds like you know we're going to get so far ahead of schedule that there's going to be like three years of content, and then maybe we'll have to like double up and like make <laughs> make new stuff. I don't know. Uh, anyway, that's there. Go check it out if you're if you're so willing and uh, are are financially able. We'd really appreciate that. Um, but uh, Blake, I gotta know what's going on in your world before we get into the news. Ah, uh, before we top into the news, Nick, I think I've found a new, different kind of video game addiction that I always told myself Uh-oh. that I would avoid. Um, MMOs, kind of. So, so what? The one game I've never ever played is my World of Warcraft. No, I've played <laughs> Warcraft a bunch of times. <laughs> okay, ah, he's All played right. Warcraft. Uh, but it's kind of worse than that because it's like a derivative off of Diablo. And okay. for me, it's worse even than doing something derivative. It's playing the Minecraft version of like Diablo's Diablo three dungeon runs, uh, and it okay. is so much fun and ridiculous because it's not necessarily the same game as Minecraft because um, it's you know running around as if you're playing Diablo three in kind of a fun version. But it is so fun and addicting to play. And it and this first time I've done this because uh, it wasn't available for Stadia. I bought it on my Xbox through my laptop, like just through the Windows Store, and it is so seamless and easy for me to like launch it up, play it in between, you know, meetings or whatever. Um, and it is a, I don't know, it's funny to me how like video games are changing, and I feel like an old man now because you used to like have to go launch the console stuff, but now I can basically buy games through my laptop, connect my controller to my laptop, and there's no like setup. It's very seamless. And he could like be off and running and playing a game, and it doesn't even take long to download, like we've talked about with Stadia. 
but yeah, it feels kind of ridiculous uh, to be playing a Minecraft game. So, well, okay, so a, a couple things here. So Minecraft Dungeons um, is it, not available on Stadia, and I, w- I want to talk about something. It doesn't seem – it's a very fairly low poly count oh, yeah. game, fairly not very graphically intensive. Um, now, I want to say in places where Stadia excels is going to be like later this month. You mentioned MM- – or I mentioned MMOs. Uh uh, Elder Scrolls Online is coming to Stadia for free for all pro subscribers. Oh wow! Later this month or later next month, um, and I think MMOs are going to really be where cloud gaming shines because you're going to have instances where it's a hundred gigabyte download, um, and you can't do that just in a couple minutes. Yeah, unless you know. So I think that's really going to be where it shines. I'm, I get an MMO and I'm in and playing in in a few minutes. Um, yeah, especially thinking about like that instant being able to pick up where you were in the world and where you had last uh-huh. saved and all that kind of stuff. Like just that instantaneous interaction of like not really even doing anything but plugging your controller in or launching the game from your PC or your phone or whatever. That's gonna be pretty cool. Yeah. That might you might be right. That that could be where it really kicks the bucket for other games. Yeah, and I mean, if you think about MMOs just in general and access to cloud servers and artificial intelligence running on the back end, you could almost interact with NPCs that are smarter than a typical NPC that is just run off of pre-scripted dialogue, right? Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's going to be exciting to see where it goes for sure. But I put a link to Minecraft Dungeons in the in the comment or in the description below in case you want to check it out for yourself. But what do you think of the game? Like, is there any like highlights? Anything they did right for game design and we'll talk a little bit about ux and game design a little later with reddit um but i want to like poke your brain like what what is it that makes it so appealing to you so i'm one of those people that gets really frustrated when game because call of duty has started doing this and it drives me insane but like every time there's a new game mode or like a new iteration of like a call of duty game comes out they force you to go through tutorial content now in a game like apex legends that was great to do because there was a lot of different things you could do in in terms of like jumping and how you could move around the map um, and kind of getting you used to the gameplay. So like the ramp up and onboarding made a lot of sense there. Uh, But for things like Call of Duty where it's very much, you know, run and shoot type of stuff, don't really need a whole lot of, you know, upfront outset. And I think that's what this game did did really right is it's basically you download it, you open it, connect your controller or use your mouse and keyboard and there's no real like stopping you and making you focus on different actions you have to learn like it does pop up suggestions or hints throughout the gameplay but really it's pretty simple and easy to learn if you've ever played you know a Diablo game before or even like just a MMO in general and you're in third person where you have like a single action and that's pretty much all you have to do and you can be running around and it's more of like a discovery instead of having to like have tutorial content thrown in your face and it's stopping the game as you're walking through it so it just feels like a more seamless experience to me huh that's interesting uh we'll get to we'll get to some game design recommendations here at the end of the show but i I just wanted to tease um well i got a i got a quick update for you blake yeah what do you have man i've been looking forward to this all week I feel like this is going to be the last update for a while. Um, I just feel like, so I, I uh, every week I've been kind of detailing my progress on my quarantine project, um, which is coincidentally a Star Wars control panel that lights up and has randomized LEDs. And it looks like, uh, you know, I've talked about Greeblies on the show and I've talked about woodworking and I've talked about uh, prop making and all that stuff. 
Um, and th there it is, Blake. You can see it. I've posted some pictures on our Slack uh, before I put it in the shadow box, but um, you know, it's mostly there uh, on the Slack if you want to go take a look. Um, but I'm, I've got the randomization of the LEDs. I stayed up late last weekend to get that all down, and I feel kind of like a mastermind now that I'm using the millis function instead of the delay function because the code runs much quicker and there's a, um, it seems fairly obvious for people who are coders and who know what the language is. But, uh, the, the difference is that if you put a delay in the loop, um, it takes that much longer to get to the following actions. Whereas if you do a quick calculation using millis, which is a built in, uh, sort of counter that's built in on the card, it will perform it and just do quick calculations to see how much time has passed and then go through the loop again until that certain amount of time has passed. Anyway, nice. it's, it's, a, it's a whole thing. Figured it out. It's it's weird. Now he's got to, the, the only remaining things with this project are to figure out the actual buttons to do things. And I think I'm very close. I made a pretty big breakthrough with the Millis function last weekend. I'm hoping to dig into it a little bit this weekend and really see if I can get those buttons to work and light up in the way that I want them to. And then the other remaining thing is to code up the sound and uh, wire up the speaker, which I don't think is going to be too difficult. Um, so really, I mean, this project is almost done. I got another one coming in the mail. I mentioned last week, the Smuggler's Room is doing that uh, that kind of kit in a box that I'm putting together. And, um, you know, I've like I'm at this point, I finished the coding kind of last weekend and put it in the shadow box on Monday and I'm feeling kind of like empty inside that I don't have anything to work on next, um, you know, without uh, spending an arm and a leg on supplies to get it in. Um, and so I'm just kind of, uh, I'm at a standstill. So I think this is going to be my last update on my project for a while. Oh, no. Um, and that's okay. It's okay. I can always come back to it. You know, I made it modular enough to come back and I'll be able to open up the hood. Literally, I'll open up the back of the shadow box and be able to mess with the electronics um, whenever whenever that time is right. But for now, I have a display piece that's, that's fairly good and feels good to be done, but also empty inside. Um, and I don't, you, have you had that feeling before, Blake? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like there was, um, there was a point I don't know, a couple of weeks ago where I discovered that the input to my, one of my guitars had gone out. So like I couldn't connect it to my laptop anymore and use some of the guitar effects I had. Uh, so I was like, what am I going to do? I can't even play one of my favorite guitars because I, I can't. I mean, I don't really know anything about the electronics in this thing. I bought it used. It's banged up as it is. So replacing it is going to be really tough for me. Um, and then I even looked at the parts and it was going to take months for it to get here. So, yeah, I totally understand a little bit of that. Ah, uh, it's the worst. Um, but I gotta say, like anyway, the design and weathering on that thing came out so cool. Yeah. So uh, what Blake is referencing, so there's uh, weathering effects on the side of this to make it look like it's been used uh, quite a bit. And all I used for some of this weathering effect that you see there is like just uh, silver sharpie. Um, there are various techniques that you can use, uh, but I just use silver sharpie around the edges in places where I think it might have frayed more than others, and you know, like it makes it kind of look like it's metal underneath and. Uh, there are various tutorials for weathering out there, but yeah, I I I appreciate that you picked up on it and uh, you know noticed that it kind of looks lived in and used, and that's really what I was going for. You know, I have my like oil paint and brush right here that I sit and weather things with, and it just makes things look like dirty and greasy and just like it's it's been through many many um, button presses and 
and flip switches and all that stuff, you know? It's awesome. You've really, so, like, come into your own with that project because it was – I had no idea what it was going to look like at the end of it, and you had this obviously clear vision in your head, and it's come together so You might think cool. so. Well, you might it think it was a clear like vision. It. I have no idea. <laughs> it was uh, It was very, and I actually showed this on the Slack too. I sent a lot of pictures in Slack that kind of go through uh, various stages of what I was thinking of with this project. And I thought it was at a place where I wanted to share on the Slack. So again, if you're interested, please go check that out. Um, but my point with that is that it wasn't a clear vision from the get-go. Like I went through various iterations i i very closely adhered to the design process on uh this project and i kind of was like well could this work um and you know at one point i had way too much stuff on there and so i dialed it back and then it didn't have enough and i didn't want to do more greeblies because i felt like that didn't invite too much interactivity with it so that's when i went with the leds because they were fairly low profile and there was still kind of that interactive um, randomness that still happened that made it feel alive. <clears throat> so overall, I'm pretty happy with it. A couple things I would have done differently, obviously. But, um, you know, I think I, I've been treating <laughs> this is weird because I've been treating cooking very similarly to how I've been treating this. Right. I've been trying to get better at cooking. And, um, you know, I knew going into this project that the control box that it wasn't going to be easy and that it wasn't going to turn out. Um, the way I had pictured it in my head the first time around. And that's kind of how I've been approaching cooking now, too. Like, I cooked ribs for the first time Ooh, the other nice. day. And they actually turned out pretty good. Bad thing, uh, but, you know, I I mean, you know, it's it's basically follow follow the instructions, see if you see how close you can get, and then and then start to add in your own twist. Um That's the best part about cooking. You like follow a recipe once and then you think about what you can do next. Ah, it's fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I've learned a lot with this project. I'm very happy I did it. I would encourage anyone to take up um, a project that has you learn a variety of different sets of skills. Um, I don't know what I'm going to take up next. I have, like I said, I have that kit coming in. I might take up foam craft, um, which is basically like creating armor out of foam. Like I want to do like the Mandalorian armor or something. That would be so along cool. those lines. Uh, it'd be very cool. Um, I may do another control panel with the lessons learned that I have from this one um, after the kit, uh, but I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm thankful that now I have a little bit of time to think about what I want to do next, um, and I'm already itching to get back in there and like do more. So that's that's always a good sign, I think. Absolutely, of a successful project. Uh, so, yeah, if anyone wants to geek out about that stuff, please please let me know. I'm happy to chat about it in the slack <laughs> why not man yeah it's great that you've kind of found some kind of cool maker hobby because that's it seems like it's a really good time yeah and i mean i can hang this on my wall and feel proud about it like people come in and they'll see it like lighting up and stuff and be like what is that oh that's, that's a star wars <laughs> control panel no big deal where did you that, get it oh that controls I the landing it. ramp and the door <laughs> um yeah. yeah oh yeah i made that oh Isn't that cool? wow um yeah and there's obviously like down the road, I want access to better tools like a laser cutter and uh, like a Glowforge, right? Um, it's just something that you put pieces of wood in and it burns it or etches the wood in a, in a very precise manner using a laser. Um, and, and, you know, I could do some really good damage with that um, for projects, you know, like very precise measurements and 
uh, a lot less work. And then I can actually put together my own kit and sell it, you know, and that's something that excites me too. Um, or, you know, not even, not even for profit, just something that somebody else can put together and enjoy the same type of joy that I got out of putting this thing together or that I'll get out of putting together the other kit. Um, so anyway, that's, that's enough about, uh, kits, kits and projects and everything. I wanted something to be my own and I have it and I'm fairly happy with where it's at. So pick a quarantine project. I know we're kind of coming out of quarantine now, but, uh, just pick a project in general and work on it. If it's coding, if it's, if it's something else, I, I picked this one because it was a variety of skill sets. Um, and I think that's, that's always a good way to go if you want to learn a lot in a very little time. So Sounds like a plan, man. I think it's been a great kind of avenue. And I'm sure there there's a lot of people out there that have found similar ideas or concepts come through during quarantine and hopefully they continue it as we go on. Yeah, I wanna hear I wanna hear from our listeners though. What have you found and what have you been working on? Uh let us know in the Slack. Um all right, well why don't we get into the news because I'm I'm pretty excited about this story. Let's go. That's right. This is the part of the show all about human factors news. This is where we talk about everything related to the field of human factors. And uh, you know what? We got a little bit of automation this week and trust this week. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and get into that first story, Blake? Absolutely. So it's all about trusting robo-taxis. So apparently robo-taxis have a real public image problem. And according to new survey data collected by Partners for Automated Vehicles Education, or PAVE, survey that surveyed 1,200 Americans earlier this year, they found that 48% of those Americans say they would never get in a taxi or rideshare vehicle that is being driven autonomously. And more still, slightly more Americans think autonomous vehicles will never be safe to get into. So according to the survey data, getting a ride in a robo-taxi might change some of those minds. So three in about five people said that they'd have more trust in the automated vehicles if they had a better understanding of how they worked. And even 58% said they, if they had first-hand experience, so like getting a ride in a self-driving car and experiencing for themselves, they may be more likely to trust the technology. By contrast, more Americans have way more confidence in what is known as Advanced Driver Assistance Systems, or ADAS. And these can these systems include things like Tesla's Autopilot or General Motors Super Cruise, but also encompass technology like automatic braking, blind spot monitoring, and parking assistance. So Nick, I'm really glad that well, thank you, Mateo, for dropping this in our Slack. I always appreciate the stories you put in here, but I'm glad that you're really interested in this particular story because I would have thought the complete opposite, but it's interesting that perspectives on autonomous vehicles are kind of skewed in a negative fashion right now. Um, but I don't know. What did you think about the general just data that came out from this study? So it's no secret that that humans have a difficult time trusting in automation um you know that's a that's a human factors 101 kind of uh problem that that is mentioned uh, in those classes right and and for good reason there's a lot of problems and issues with automation and communicating to the human what the issue is or, or what the system is doing uh to keep that human in the loop or to even inform the human of, of what's going on behind the scenes, right? So I get the trust and automation piece here. What surprised me, um, and maybe this is because we're coastal, we're uh, in, you know, we're just south of Silicon Valley. So I mean, like, um, 
you know, innovation is not uh, rare here in in San Diego County. You know, we see autonomous vehicles driving over by Qualcomm all the time. We see um, drone deliveries partnering with UCSD and delivering McDonald's to, you know, for lunch. So, I mean, it's not a stranger to us. Uh, we see this type of technology and and for people like you and I who are very informed, we tend to trust automation a little bit more than those who are uninformed. And so this this article here is tracking with, I guess, our side of things, right? We trust, or I would trust an automated vehicle more than I would trust a human driver. If an Uber showed up or a Lyft showed up and, you know, there was no driver and I'd be like, all right, let's go. Let's go. Absolutely. Uh, I'm in uh, because I know they're going to take the optimal route and they're, the, they're going to prioritize safety over efficiency. And, you know, like I'm in. I'm in. Um, the only other, the only risk, which is always a risk, is other drivers on the road. Um, yeah. And I think we've talked about this before, but like it's one of those things to me. First off, I would love to like be able to get in a Tesla and say that it would put it on autopilot mode and let it just drive me autonomously all the time. That would be awesome. I just feel like that's something I would get absorbed in. Um, it, but I do understand people's perspective and it's good to have kind of gut checks like this. Cause in my mind, it's like, yeah, autonomous vehicles are the next things replace all the cars on the road with autonomous vehicles to make it safer. Cause we've definitely talked about that on the show. Like even if, even if like through all the testing, you get a lot, you get autonomous vehicles approved by, a bunch of car makers really you're still stuck in some ways in terms of the safety aspect of it because of other drivers and even right and i'm sure over time but i don't know how much time with machine learning and ai you'd be able to predict some erratic behavior based off of small markers that it, the sensors could pick up but it would take time to do that and bad things could happen in that time to learn uh, for autonomous vehicles so I, I don't know, man. I I do think that there I understand the the typical person's perspective though that with these like ADAS systems like even the autopilot or cruise mode or the like for me the blind spot monitoring, I trust that aspect, but I think I trust it because at the end of the day I am still physically in control of the car versus in like autonomous driving, I don't know what that even feels like and I'm somebody that, that would that think it's thinks is a good idea. I've never sat in an autonomous driving car. I don't know what what that would feel like or what I would do while it was driving if I would be nervous or any of that kind of stuff. So the perspective makes a lot more sense even though we're kind of like absorbed in the tech world. Right. And I I mean, if you think about so so I mean, we're we're in agreement that, you know, and I think a lot of people are in agreement that uh, autonomous vehicles are safer than manned vehicles and especially when they're communicating with each other there's obviously going to be the one-offs and exceptions uh, but you know, in general autonomous vehicles are more safe uh, and so I think the the real catalyst that's going to send this forward is going to be forcing the public to uh, embrace these uh, types of autonomy, and I think it's going to be fairly organic, right? I mentioned the example of having an Uber or a Lyft, a rideshare, show up at my door and no driver. Uh, I would be the first to get in that and go, hell yeah, let's go. Um, but a lot of people would be hesitant. But there's going to be that like key part of the population that go, yeah, I hopped in one. It's freaking rad. You don't have to worry about a driver, you know? And they're going to tell their friends and that word of mouth is going to get out and they'll be more likely to try 
you know, and perhaps it's an option at first. Like I want an autonomous vehicle um, to come and pick me up, you know, in your Uber or Lyft app or whatever it is. You should you say I want an autonomous vehicle um, at, at a lower cost or something because yeah, you don't have to pay a driver. You don't have to tip. Um, that's an incentive to use automation. Yeah. And so I feel like there's going to be enough subtle nudges towards using this type of technology that over time, the more people get exposed to it, the, uh, you know, and I, I mean, you know, it will change their minds. And I think, um, I think that's evidenced by this study here, right? I, the more sort of interaction, the more aware you are of the, um, the technology right and i mean maybe there's some like pamphlets or something or like digital pamphlets that describe what's exactly going on like what systems are you know like a little instructional video that says hi welcome to our autonomous vehicle for your information there are safety systems all around the car in front we have forward-facing cameras that detect you know oncoming traffic and maybe it's like a 30 second thing that plays when people get in or it could be like an on- onboarding in video games where during the experience, it kind of walks you through what the car is doing, giving you kind of cues. That's what I'm saying, right? That's what I'm saying, right? It would be like a 30-second tutorial or something um, or like a like a one-minute thing, safety thing. You know, please keep your arms and legs inside the tram and, well, it's moving to Disneyland or whatever. You know, like that type of thing in an autonomous vehicle, um, as people get in, the doors close and lock. Uh, that's when that starts and it can't be skipped or anything. And, you know, you play it enough times and people know what systems that car is equipped with and they know how that stuff is working and how the car is automated. I think that would go a long way for informing people how, how safely autonomous vehicles are operating. And it would go a long way for improving trust in that automation for those folks who are unfamiliar with the technology absolutely i mean i think even bringing it to places like car manufacturers or like where you're where you're selling a car like a tesla shop that you can go into like offering the ability to get in the car let it drive autonomously if you really want to experience it like have somebody there with you for to feel like you have another human next to you or even you know allowing it because I know there's a lot of car events and people do bring electric cars to them now, like offering to let people drive, let people drive and sit behind an autonomous vehicle there or even fares, just like anywhere that you can get it out in the public sphere so that it's, it's kind of like an attraction thing where it's, it's like, Oh yeah, let me try it. Or your friends like razz you into doing it. But the ultimately you get a better sense of what is going on or what it feels like to sit in an autonomous vehicle. And like you said, that word of mouth thing becomes much more powerful. And then the trusting is, is there as well. I think one other thing that people definitely don't know or think about on a daily basis, most people I would say, um, is like the cybersecurity aspect of autonomous vehicles as well. So that's a whole nother ball of wax that once it's rolled oh, out. Oh, don't tell them about that. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> that's the harder thing. It's like there's all there are all these other problems beyond just having an autonomous vehicle that have to be solved too that will cause, you know, issues down the road. But one thing that I saw in this article that I thought was kind of mind-boggling boggling in my head at least was that from the survey data you know, most of we've talked about, I think, a lot of the mishaps that have happened with Tesla or Uber over the past couple of years, but most people didn't even really register those or know about them. It was more so this whole fact of it's a 
technology that I don't understand. And so maybe if you don't understand it, you're not following things that Uber's doing or Tesla's doing or accidents they're having. So that's like the, I think that's the bigger gap. And to your point, the, one of the biggest human factors challenges out there is that trust and automation building. Yeah, I, I'm very excited to see what this rollout looks like. I think some of the stuff that we talked about tonight actually, you know, would would help with sort of that um, slow rollout and and help with the introduction of these autonomous systems to other people who are unfamiliar with what's going on, right? And so um, it's it's very much. Uh, I, I'm very curious to see what this rollout looks like and how over time the public since starts to trust uh, auto automated vehicles more. Um, do you have any other closing thoughts on this one before we move on to Reddit? I just have to echo what you said at the beginning. The second that, you know, Lyft, Uber, whoever adds autonomous vehicles to the queue of cars you can get, I'm totally going to try it just to, just to know. Yeah. Let's go on a ride together. There we go. And social distancing is not a thing. Let's go on a ride together. Um, hopefully, hopefully social distancing won't be a thing when autonomous vehicles come out. Cause that would be, or, uh, you know, anyway, so, okay. All right. So let's go ahead and take a quick break. Uh, and we will be back to talk about Reddit right after this. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in Human Factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is Human Factors Etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. All right, and we're back. Before we continue, I just want to thank our friends over at Ars Technica for our news story this week. Uh, and Mateo for posting it, really. Uh, if you want to follow along, you can find us. Uh, you, we do post those all over social media, so you can find them, um, you know, as we find them. They're out there to you. Uh, Doug is a good choice, by the way. All right, so let's go ahead and switch gears and get to It Came From Reddit. It came from... It came from... That's right, this is the part of the show where we search all over the internet to bring you topics the community is talking about. This week it's Reddit, uh, and we got one up this week. Um, by the way, uh, Doug is on the uh, the TV in the ba on uh, in Blake's background, which is why I said Doug is a good choice. Yes, yeah, so I'm watching Pork Chop right now. The, the 1990s Nickelodeon show, Doug. Uh, <laughs> all right, so uh, we got one Reddit thing this week. What do we call them? Reddit? Redditing? Story? Reddit story? I don't know. Reddit? We got one entry this week. Uh, this is by posted by user Evidactyl97. Uh, from the user experience subreddit. This one is titled UX Research in the Gaming Industry. Hey, y'all. I was just wondering if anyone has any resources or books they could recommend related to UX research, specifically in the gaming industry. I'm interested to learn more about this topic. Uh, so, Blake, you and I talked briefly about this before the show, uh, and 
I think there was a perfect segue at the beginning of the show. As you were talking about Minecraft Dungeons, I thought a lot about game design. Um, and so I, I'm going to pass it over to you. What do you have to say? Any resources that you got for game design? Yeah, so this is a topic I'm super interested in but don't know a whole lot about. Uh, the biggest, the only thing that I've really come across that has anything to do with game design is there it, and I apologize if I butcher this woman's name, uh, but there is a lady named Celia Hoden who has come to San Diego a few times and given talks on kind of the, the importance of understanding the brain. So the neuroscience aspects of psychology on video game design. Um, and she has, she's given a lot of different talks. I think she kind of went Prior to, you know, being with social distancing, she did a lot of talks around the country and I think had used to work for Epic Games as a UX strategist. Um, and she, her book called Gamer's Brain has kind of a multifunctioning thing to me because I've always been really interested in, you know, the neuroscience of anything to do with humans and how it affects your psychology. Um, but she, she bakes a lot of the neuroscience in that we know about today about gamers, how it affects your brain, how it affects, you know, your saccades and your ability to pay attention. Um, but also at the same time, how you can use information like that and what you can learn from psychological principles and apply that to game design. She's got a pretty large section in the book de devoted specifically just to methods that you use. So both from a human factors and designer perspective. Um, so it's a really great resource to check out, but that's the only one that I really know of. How about you, Nick? Do, you're pretty into the game design world. I'm into the game design world, but I wouldn't say I'm, um, I'm, uh, I haven't gone out and done my own research yet. So I personally can't stand by any of these books. However, I did reach out to a friend of mine who does work in the gaming industry as a UX, uh, slash UX researcher type role. Um, and what they told me was they, they had kind of, uh, four core books that they were looking at when they first got started. Um, and so I'll go over kind of what these books are and uh, why they recommended them. So first up is Designing the User Experience of Game Development Tools. Uh, and this one was recommended um, because it, it, it has a great overview. It's kind of like a textbook of just um, going over sort of these uh, game development tools like Unity or... Um, uh, Unreal Engine, anything like that. And it goes through actually designing the user experience of these tools. Um, also on the list, uh, my colleague sent me over Creative Direction in a Digital World. This one was just for a good sort of um, uh, how to sort of get behind that creative bone, especially when working in digital environments. Uh, and then we have, uh, and I should mention all these links, all these books I've linked in the description below. So that way you can get to them and, and research for yourself if, if they're a good fit. Uh, game design theory. This was just kind of a good um, understanding about philosophy as it pertains to games. Um, and uh, the last one was the UX Careers Handbook. And this one was uh, not necessarily game design focused, but just how to be a UX professional in a job. So these are the four recommendations my colleague gave me to relay on the show for you all. Um, so uh, go check those out. I'm going to pick up a few after talking with my colleague on those, especially because a couple of them do seem really interesting. Uh, so with that, do you have any other closing thoughts on game design resources? I know there's a there's a ton of like YouTube videos and online classes and tutorials for at least for getting acquainted with the tools themselves. And I think understanding uh, what is possible in the tools is kind of half the battle because then you sort of 
uh, break down that barrier of you know communication between you and the developer you as a user experience researcher as a human factors practitioner as a designer whatever you call yourself your mission is to provide the best experience for the user and if that's not possible in the system you need to know that and you need to come up with alternative solutions so that way when you come to the designer or the or sorry the coder uh, the developer that's going to actually put that into play they're they're not going to say hey that's not possible they're going to say all right this is we can do that because you looked at the code you're familiar with what is possible in this technology absolutely and i know that unity has a lot of great tutorials and some of them are free and targeted for beginners um, i actually think even with like all the covid stuff going on they even expanded the library that was free so that's a great place to go and look at even if you're in the research or does or only the design aspect of the of the you know video game design game but another one in that is also free and has a lot of free tutorial content surrounding it is phaser js so it's a javascript library that's used to create games um, and it is very simple to get into and you can create you know fun and easy games quickly so you can learn a lot and understand like kind of game mechanics and what does it really require from a physics perspective and that kind of stuff so it's a those are two really great places to start um, if you want to make more lo-fi games, obviously the Phaser JS is going to be your bet. And if you want to, you know, do really great 3D rendering, Unity is an awesome place to start too. All right, plenty of great resources for all of you potential game designers out there. All right, well that's going to be it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the story this week. If you want, you can join the discussion on our Slack or follow us over any of our social channels at HFactors Podcast. If you want to reach out to us directly, we're always happy to hear you. We do read every single email that comes through our inbox. So that's show at humanfactorscast.com if you want to reach out to us. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, there's two ways you can do that. You can either leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice or consider supporting us on Patreon. We are very excited about Human Factors Minute. There are many other people that need your support out there, so please consider donating to them first. We're not as worthy as others. Uh, but we're always happy if you are able to spare it. Please, you know, help help us support the show. Uh, I want to thank Mr. Blake Arnstor for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about autonomous vehicles that have games in them? Wow. If you can play Dungeons in an <laughs> autonomous vehicle, let's go. Okay, you go. You can always find me in the Human Factors Cast Slack. It is at Blake in there. Uh, and you can always find me across social media at Don't Panic UX. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time. It depends. It depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, 
on social media and on your favourite podcast directory because it's more than just common sense.